0: Thank you, Ken. uh, Ken Stoner is our class pastor. And if you have any pastoral needs, feel free to uh, call Ken. His name is in the class directory. And uh, it's good to have Steve and Marilyn join our class. Steve, you are CEO of Methodist Hospital, is that correct? Methodist Health System. Yeah. Methodist Health System. And you come from?
1: Uh, Tennessee.
0: Tennessee. Well, and how long have you been here? A year and a... A year and a quarter, and it <laughs> took him this long to find the presents. <laughs> class. Well, that's great. And uh, Joanne, we're glad that you came with Dolly. We didn't know Dolly had any friends. But,
1: uh, <laughs> I got one up on you that time.
0: <laughs> Dolly had made a comment that, that uh, Ed Yates had said something nice about me, and she said, you know, Ed must be losing his mind in his old age.
1: <laughs>
0: well, I enjoy teaching this, uh, the Criswell <laughs>
1: class <laughs> <laughs> The president's class and uh,
0: I think Dolly's right. I think it's <laughs> Okay, we are in the uh, Gospel of Luke, so turn over to uh, Luke chapter 5, and we're going to cover Luke 5, verses 1 through 11 today. That's Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to give you a little review of what we've covered for the past couple weeks. Besides chapters 1 and 2 that talk about Jesus' birth, chapter 3 we see Jesus being baptized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, To go out and preach the gospel. In chapter 4, he comes to his hometown in verse 16, and he goes into the synagogue and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty (coughs) to the captives, to set the captives free, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then in verse 21, he said, And today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He said, I am bringing all of this to pass. Now that passage, Luke 4, 18 through 19, is a quote from Isaiah. And that's speaking about the time when God was going to set up his kingdom. And the people who were sick would be healed, and the people who were oppressed would be free. And... Jesus said, It's happening right now, and you're hearing, and I'm the one that's making it happen. Well, the people in his hometown of Nazareth thought that he was beside himself. They said, This is Joseph's son. It's not the Messiah. And they basically cast him out of the city. So then, in verse 31, Jesus moves to a neighboring town, Capernaum. And verses 31 through 37, he preaches in the synagogue, and he cast a demon out of a person. He Performs an exorcism. And then at lunchtime he goes to Simon Peter's house beginning in verse 38 and 39 and he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law and we saw that last week. And then beginning in verse 40, word gets out about his healing powers and multitudes (coughs) come bringing people various illnesses to Jesus and he lays hands on them and he heals them. And they wanted him to stay. His hometown wanted him to leave. The people in Capernaum want him to stay. Now look at verse 43 of chapter 4. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching in the synagogues throughout those entire Jewish territories. Now, he says that his purpose for coming is to preach the kingdom of God. So Somebody asks you, what was Jesus' purpose for coming? It was to proclaim the kingdom of God. Another place says he came to set the captives free. He was sent to free people, to seek and to save that which is lost. That's another way of saying the kingdom of God. Now, the Jews understood the kingdom of God as a time when God was going to restore the Jews to their holy land, their promised land. It was a time when the oppressed, in this case, they were being oppressed by Rome. In the past, they had been oppressed by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, by the Persians. Now they're being oppressed by the Romans. The Jews thought that when the kingdom came, Rome would be overthrown. The Jews would be regathered. They were scattered all out throughout their <laughs> empire. They'd be regathered into their homeland and God would restore the kingdom to Israel. So Jesus is going and he's preaching this message of setting the captives free. So now we move to chapter 5. Okay? So it was. As the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, this scene tells us that he is standing on a seashore. In verse 44 it says he was preaching in the synagogues. Now he's in the, on the seashore. So evidently, he has either made a circle throughout all the different synagogues in the area, and he's coming back into the area where he, to the Capernaum area, because we're going to see where this lake is, or maybe he's preached in a synagogue, and he's decided to go down to the seashore, and there's going to be a reason for it, and you'll see, and he goes and stands by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the Lake of Gennesaret is the same as the Sea of Galilee. Just another name for the Sea of Galilee. It's named after a very fertile region region northwest of the sea called Gennesaret. And so they just called this, popularly, the Lake of Gennesaret. But it's basically the Sea of Galilee, and you need to know that. Now, I want you to notice two things. First, I want you to notice about his popularity. Notice it says, the multitudes pressed him that probably means that when he went to the synagogue, he probably preached, performed miracles, people began to follow him, he picks up a following, word spreads about him, and now he even goes by the, to the seashore, maybe just to get away. And he's so popular that the crowds press in upon him. So that's his popularity. Look at his ministry. They came to hear the word of God. Now, notice that phrase, the word of God. This indicates for Luke's audience that Jesus is a prophet. He's one who speaks on behalf of God. All the prophets spoke God's word. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Jonah. The oracle came to the prophet Hosea. So he is in, a, in their sense, in their thinking, he is in a ministry, a prophetic ministry, and he's speaking a word on behalf of God. That means it's an authoritative word. What's that word of God that he preached back in 43? The kingdom of God, that God's going to restore everything to its original order. Now look at verse 2. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put, put it out a little from the land. And he sat and he taught the multitudes... From the boat. Now the boat serves as a platform for Jesus. You can imagine he's on the seashore. Hundreds of people pressing in around him. And so what he decides is I'm going to get in one of those boats. Have Simon push it out. And I'll teach from the boat. So it gives him a little bit of distance. And it serves, that setting serves as a natural amphitheater. And does it say he sat down in the boat? It does it into verse 3, showing that he takes the position of a rabbi. That's how rabbis taught by sitting down. And they sit on the seashore, and he sits on the boat, and he's probably elevated a little bit because of the water, and he begins to teach them. Now, here's something very important. Simon Peter is on the scene in verse 3. Do you see that? He asks Simon to push out the boat. This is how we know he's back near Simon's. <laughs> home somewhere near Simon's home in verse 44 it said he went to all the synagogues throughout the region but guess what he's coming back toward Simon's residence and he probably says I'd like to see Simon maybe stops at the house and Simon's wife says well he's out fishing so he goes down to the seashore crowds following the fishing's over they're cleaning their nets, and Jesus said, well, I think I'll just get in Simon's boat. Push me out a little bit, and he sits down there, and he begins to speak. So Simon has been working. This is a working day, so we know one thing, it's not the Sabbath day. Would we agree with that? So This is a, this is a day somewhere in the, probably in the middle of the week, and they're washing the nets. Now look at verse 4. Now here's where things start to get interesting. And when he stopped speaking, probably about the kingdom of God, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, <clears throat> get to the middle of the lake, and let down your nets for a catch. Now the whole focus switches from the crowd that Jesus is preaching to to one individual, Simon. And he's going to focus right in on Simon. But, very interestingly, the verbs in verse 4 are plural. Which means, although he says to Simon, launch out. He speaks to Simon, but in reality, he's speaking to the whole crowd. He says, y'all launch out. As he says it to Simon. It would be like me saying to uh, Ben, not Gwen. Remember, Troy said Gwen today, didn't he? Gwen Cameron, where is Troy? (laughs) Where's
1: Troy?
0: He's fired,
1: isn't
0: he? It'd be like me saying to Glenn Cameron.
1: <laughs>
0: now, Ben, you all launch out. And then what else does he say in verse 4? Notice and let down your nets' quarrel. Do you see that? So, although he speaks to Peter, he's actually speaking to all of them, telling them to go and put their nets down. Now look at Simon's reaction. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night. We've been working eight hours, and we have caught nothing. And I might add, and by the way, we've just cleaned our nets. (laughs) Now, notice that Simon calls Jesus master. He does that because Jesus speaks with authority, God's word. And so that's why he gives him that title. He's the master when it comes to speaking God's word. But, Simon's the master when it comes to fishing. Jesus might know a lot about the kingdom of God, but this is how Simon makes his living, fishing. But look what he says. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, why does he do this? Jesus doesn't know anything about fishing. He's a master of the word. Well, notice what he says in verse 5. Nevertheless, at your what? Word. Word. Simon in the past has seen how powerful Jesus' word is. He saw him in the synagogue cast out demons with a word. Saw him in his own house when he said to Simon's mother in law, Fever, be gone. And with a word, it was gone. He sees miracles at a word. And if Jesus speaks a word, it must be an authoritative word. So he says, It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to do it. And so if there's a sense in which either it's an act of obedience, thinking, Okay, we're going to do it, you've done great things in the past, or he's doing it by faith, we're just not sure. But he Decides he's going to do it. Now look at verse 6. And when they had done this, notice all of the people that were there fishing. They caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled their partners. Now this doesn't mean business partners as we think today. Okay? Don't think, well, Simon had a whole bunch of partners, and they were in this big fishing business, and they're making a lot of money. These are peasants. These are, it's like a cooperative, that kind of partnership. <laughs> cooperative is a nonprofit, <laughs> so they get a, they have a bunch of guys, they work together and they're partners, but it's not like they're making a lot of money. They're just, they're just subsisting. So, call the partners, in verse 7, in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and they filled their boats, they get those fish out of the nets, because the fish are breaking, the nets are breaking, put them in the boats. So that they began to sink, the boats began to sink. Too much to handle. (laughs) Now, if they hadn't caught anything all night, and now they have so much that the boats are sinking, you would say, "Yeah, well." (laughs) You would say, "Wow!" (laughs) Especially if you were a poor fisherman. This is like, "Wait till we get this to the market," you know. So. That's exactly what Simon does, isn't it? Look at verse 8. When Simon saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and he said, Depart from me. No, he didn't do that, did he? He didn't say hallelujah. Depart from me. Why? For I am a sinful man. He realizes that a miracle has occurred. Now, I need you to sit here just for one second. Because in verse 8, this is the first time that Luke says anybody is a sinner. And he mentions a person by name and says that they're a sinner. Now, in this case, Simon, when he says, I'm a sinful man, doesn't mean uh, I don't keep the law. It doesn't mean that uh, I never go to the synagogue because we know he does those things. He's not a sinful man in the typical meaning of the word sinful. What he means is when he looks at Jesus and he sees what Jesus has just done, and then he looks at himself, he realizes that there's a vast difference. It's like when Jesus went to be baptized and John looked at Jesus and said, I have need to be baptized at you. Remember when these disciples said, are you the Messiah to John? And John says, no, the one who's coming, I'm not worthy to even buckle his shoes. So it's a sinner and sinful in the sense that he realizes that there's this vast difference between himself and Jesus. It's like Isaiah when he sees the Lord high and lifted up in the temple and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. He just falls down. That's what happens when God's presence sort of comes into a place and you're there, you just realize you're on holy ground and you take off your shoes. And God has manifested himself through Jesus through this miracle, and Peter realizes this, and he's literally undone. Now look at his request in verse 8. He says, depart from me. Quite a difference between the request that we see in Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, and Capernaum. In Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, they try to kill him. They say he's a nobody. In Capernaum, where he does miracles, they try to keep him. They say he's a somebody. With Peter, he says, depart. I'm a nobody. I'm not even worthy of being in your presence. Isn't it interesting? Peter doesn't seek to keep Jesus. Jesus. Now, we thought the people in that, the people in Capernaum were good people because they wanted Jesus to stick around. He said, well, I wish I could, but I have to go and preach other places. We said their reaction was much better than his hometown's reaction, but guess what? Their reaction was nothing like Peter's reaction because they wanted to keep Jesus for their own benefit. Peter doesn't trade on his friendship with Jesus. He doesn't... Uh, seek to use Jesus' power for his own self like they do in Capernaum. It's just the opposite. He makes no claim on Jesus. And so here we see this sinful man and the Lord and this relationship. And when you see God for who he really is and see Christ for who he really is, you fall down and you say, I'm a sinful man. And yet Jesus is a friend of sinners. And we're going to see that. And Jesus forgives sinners. And not only that, (coughs) he sets the Sinner's free, and then he uses sinners for his glory. And that's an amazing thing that we're going to see in these next few verses. Now, look at verse nine.
1: Alan, let me—is this—is this, uh, this O oh Lord? Is that the Father, or
0: is that Jesus? Uh, he's saying to Jesus. He's calling Jesus Lord. <clears throat> okay. Question was is the O Lord Jesus or the Father that Peter's speaking to, and he's speaking to Jesus.
1: For he and all who
0: were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. They have the same reaction. We also know from Matthew's Gospel that Andrew is there. Luke doesn't tell us about Andrew. But they have the same response as Peter, except for two things. They don't say depart, and they don't say we're sinners. It's Peter who's affected this way, which is very interesting, and Peter alone. And then look at the end of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Be not afraid. In other words, Simon was fearful because God's power was demonstrated. And Jesus is saying, Don't be afraid of what you've just seen. In fact, to put it in slang, he said, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) You think this is big, this is going to scare you. (laughs) You you haven't seen anything yet. So then look what he says. And this is where I want you to really grasp what's happening. From now on, or we could put it this way, starting today, you will catch man. You will catch people. From now on, you will catch men. Now, watch this. Back in 4, 18 and 19, Jesus said the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. and He was going to set the captives free. And he said, in verse 21, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, guess what? Jesus says, today... You're going to start helping me. And you're going to catch men. And so, now, I will just tell you this. Being a fisherman in the waters of the Lake of Galilee does not qualify you to be a fisher of men. Otherwise, all of the people who are go to Bass Pro Shop and spend their weekends fishing, would be the greatest soul winners of all time. And we know that's not the case. What is going to qualify Peter for catching men? It's Jesus has just given an authoritative word. And when Jesus speaks, things happen. So Jesus says, you are going to catch men. So these are Jesus' authoritative words instructions and when he says you're going to catch men he means in the gospel net you're going to preach the kingdom of God and you're going to transform or transfer people out of the power of darkness you're going to snatch them out of the waters of darkness and you're going to place them in God's kingdom you're catching them you're snatching them away from Satan and catching them for God now I believe that when Jesus says this He's thinking in his mind of an Old Testament scripture. I believe that what he has just done here, telling them to cast out their nets and all the fish get in the nets and break them, and there's just so many they can't handle them all, I think this is what we call an enacted prophecy. Jesus has done something, acted out a scene, That has prophetic meaning. And it's all based on an Old Testament passage. And I want to show this to you. It's very interesting. If you have your Bible, you'll owe it to yourself to open up to Jeremiah chapter 31. Or Jeremiah chapter 16 rather. Jeremiah chapter 16. Now remember, what Jesus is preaching is the kingdom of God. Now go to Jeremiah chapter 16. And when you look at verse 14, that's a paragraph right there. And you might have a title over that paragraph, and it says something like, God will restore Israel. Maybe your Bible doesn't have a title, but it might have something like that. And this is a reference of God bringing in the kingdom. He predicts that one day that he will set up the kingdom, and he's going to restore Israel. He's going to establish a new covenant with Israel it will include gentiles and everything will be restored at the end there'll be a new heaven new earth and everything will be restored okay so look at verse 14 and here's the prophecy therefore behold the days are coming says the lord that it shall no more be said the lord lives who brought the children up the children of israel from the land of egypt that's not going to be on people's minds anymore that i delivered you from the land of egypt but the lord lives Who brought the children, brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from the lands where he had driven them and scattered them? For I will bring them back to their land which I gave their fathers. The exiles will return, the scattered will return to their land. This is a prophecy regarding God's bringing the people back not only from Babylonian or Assyria captivity but ultimately in the kingdom he will bring them back. Look at verse 16. Behold I will send for many what? fishermen says the Lord and they shall fish them. They will catch the people. <laughs> now that's very interesting. Isn't it? Uh but they're scattered. Look at verse 17. For my eyes are on all their ways. They're not hidden. They may be scattered, but I know where every one of them is, and I'm sending you out there into all the nations. You're going to scatter. You're going to bring them back. You're going to catch the men. Look at the end of verse 21. And they shall know that my name is the Lord, or Yahweh. So I believe that Jesus, when he says, I'll make you fishers of men, that you'll catch men, is referring back to Jeremiah chapter 16. Have you ever seen that before? I haven't. I haven't. Now, turn over to Matthew 4. I'll show you where it's mentioned one more time. In the Jeremiah passage, it says, I will get them who are up there in the north, and I'll bring them back. I'll send the fishers out. In Matthew 4 is where he talks about fishers of men the other time. And look at verse 15. Matthew 4 and verse 15. Now, in fact, we'll look at verse 14. He says, In fact, we'll just go to verse 12. (laughs) We'll look at the context. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's up north. And now he mentions Gentiles. Not only is it going to bring the Jews who are scattered back in the land, it's going to reach the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in the shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting in their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice, they're going to not only bring in the Jews, they're going to bring in the Gentiles, and he's going to send them out, and they're going to fish for men. So I believe that what happens over in Luke 4 is an enacted prophecy, there's nothing about being a fisherman that qualifies you to catch men this is something bigger every commentator commentary i've read said that this passage is just a pun they were fishing he said now i'm going to make fish with the men no pun intended <laughs> uh, i don't think jesus dealt that frivolously when he spoke and i think it had significant meaning he understood very clearly the meaning of jeremiah sixteen and therefore that's what he's saying this is something much bigger he's making a new covenant with israel It will include the Gentiles. They all must be brought together. He's going to set up the kingdom. He started it right there in 418 and 19. Today (coughs) it's being fulfilled. It's not ended yet. Still bringing people into his kingdom. One day he's going to come back. He's going to set it all up, isn't he? But it's already started. And so he commissions these guys to help him. To go out there and start catching the fish. Bringing them into the kingdom. And the apostles, in fact, they're not even apostles at this time. He's just called them to do this. We have an example in the Old Testament where God tells somebody to go out and be fishers of men, to go out and catch men. Jonah, he's supposed to go out and catch men. Catch it ends up the fish catches him. Just the opposite, sort of this in reverse, you know. By the way, Jonah. Simon Barr, Jonah. That's not a mistake. These things just don't happen. Jesus knows exactly what he's saying. And if you were a Jew of his day and you were familiar with the Old Testament, you heard the Old Testament read and the stories told, these kinds of words would just be popping right in your ear. You'd be making those kinds of connections. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, You're going to be another Jonah. And finally, when the Jonah, God used the fish to really save Jonah and then spit him on the shore, and Jonah got the message, and he goes right to the Gentiles. He goes up north. And he preaches the gospel to these people. And the people repented at the preaching of Jonah, Luke says. We'll see that later on as we go through the gospel of Luke. Now look at verse 11. Luke 5, verse 11. Until they had brought their boats to the land, and they forsook all, and they followed him. Peter says, Depart get away from me, Jesus says, no, you follow me, you come, Peter, depart, Jesus says, follow, (laughs) Uh -uh, who's going to win this argument, Peter, (laughs) leave me, Jesus, no, you follow me, now, what we have in verse 11 is we have a call to full-time ministry, you hear people say that I felt called in the full-time ministry, you want to know what it's like, what is it like to be called in the full-time ministry? This is what it looks like. Okay? So let's look at this. First of all, I want you to notice the call involves a call. Christ speaks to you. Something grabs your attention. Your life is going along smoothly, you're out working. You may not have had a great week. God grabs your attention. And then there's that call. You need to come and you need to follow me, okay? And so, first of all, a call involves hearing Jesus say, follow me, okay? Second of all, the call involves a mission, catching people. The call always involves evangelism, Amen.
1: okay?
0: People say, I'm called to the mission, but they never do any evangelism. That's not the kind of call that Jesus gives. It, is, it involves evangelism. Preaching the gospel it involves catching people. Notice, by the way, in verse ten he says, "From now on you will catch men." That's a guarantee. It's not you might go out there and try, but you know you'll probably fail. But no, it's a guarantee. You will. Why will they? Because Jesus says it. That's the authoritative word. That is maybe an evidence that you're called. Now there is a response. Look at the first response. Verse 11. They forsook (coughs) all. What does that mean, they forsook all? That means they forsook all. That means all that they valued, they left behind. That means they're going to have to leave their families behind. That means they're going to leave their vocation behind. They're no longer going to be fishermen. They're going to have to, they're not going to know where the next dollar comes from. It's a response of faith. The Forsake call is a response of faith. So, it involves you know, economics. By the way, Luke spends a lot of time in his gospel dealing with possessions. A lot of time dealing with possessions. You're going to see all kinds of references to people having things, the prodigal son, he wanted it all right now. So he, he, wanted his, he wanted some possessions. He was going to get it in the future when his father died. He wanted it all right now. The rich young ruler was told to give it all up right now. Go sell everything you have, every bit of it, and give it to the poor. Then you will have eternal life. That sounds like a work salvation almost, doesn't it? <laughs> but when we get there, we'll see what it really means. So forsaking all means forsaking everything, whatever it takes to follow Jesus, whatever is required to follow Jesus in the full-time ministry. And then notice the next thing, sec- number two, second response, is they followed him. <clears throat> now, what's interesting to me is they knew Jesus before they were called. Well, how do you know that? Because Jesus was in Simon Peter's house and he his mother-in-law. (laughs) They had already been disciples of Jesus in some sense. They looked at him as the rabbi that they followed. So they knew Jesus. So if we put it today, they were already Christians, if you want to put it in today's terms. But now they are called to follow Jesus. So, very interestingly, now they're not called apostles at this time. They're just called to follow Jesus. And they become full-time disciples of Jesus. That means they're not going to work in the sea anymore. They're going to work for Jesus full-time. They're not yet apostles. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, if you look over at chapter 6, chapter 6, And look at verse 12, <clears throat> just the next chapter. Now, it came to pass in those days that Jesus went up into the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12 whom he named apostles. And then we have the 12 that are listed. That came a chapter after the call of the full-time ministry when they first called Paul. So there's a difference between being in the full-time ministry and being one of the 12 apostles. And so he evidently called a lot of people in the full-time ministry to follow him. We don't know all of their names. Some of them were women that followed him. He had a whole group of people that followed him and went went out. Didn't he send 70 out one time? What were they doing, taking their week's vacation? Oh, they didn't have week's vacation back in those days. That's an American thing. See, these were full-time people. He had 120 in the upper room. What are they doing? Spending ten days in the upper room? I thought they had to go to work. No, they were in the upper room for ten days. 120 of them. They were in. They were called. But guess what? Of his disciples, he chose twelve whom he called apostles. Sort of interesting, isn't it? Very interesting when you start looking at these things very carefully. Now, so these people knew Jesus beforehand. He calls them into full time ministry. He calls Simon into full time ministry. And uh, he says, follow me. So that means that he leads. That means Jesus does the leading. That means Jesus chooses the course. (laughs) That means Jesus is the one who's going to direct you to where you go. That's not your choice. Peter didn't one day say, hey, I think I'll be a full-time minister. No, that'd be self-called. That'd be self appointed we have a lot of people out there on television that are self-appointed. <laughs> They've never been ordained by God, and they have been ordained by men. He re- recognizes their calling from God. They're self-ordained. Here, Jesus ordains them, and they're going to follow him, and he sets the agenda. That's what it means to follow him. Now, notice the kind of people he uses. Peasants, sinners, fishermen. What we would say is simply ordinary people. And that they follow him shows their loyalty and their trust. So when we get finished this passage and we put it in with chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, we see a progression happening in Jesus' ministry. He's baptized and empowered for ministry as Messiah. He goes into the wilderness, driven by the Spirit there, and he's tempted by Satan. He goes to his hometown, announces that he's Messiah, and these things are happening right there today, will be fulfilled today today, and they try to kill him, and they kick him out of the town. He goes over to the next town, Capernaum, heals, performs miracles, and the people say, wow, stay with us. He says, no, I have been sent by God to preach the gospel to all the area. So he goes into the synagogues, and he preaches the gospel, and he decides to go and meet up with Peter on the seashore. And he says, you know something? This is my translation. You know something? I need help. I need somebody else to get out there. Let's multiply this ministry. Even though he's the Messiah, he's going to use associates. And he uses sinners. (laughs) That's the amazing thing. He uses sinners. And they, in turn, multiply that ministry. And they do what Jesus does. They set the captives free. They give sight to the blind and so forth. And we'll pick up there at chapter 5 and verse 12 next week. Where Jesus continues on with this healing and kingdom ministry that he started back in chapter four. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that. Nothing that Jesus did was haphazard or by mistake or by chance, uh, off the cuff. He knew his mission. He knew the scriptures. He knew that he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecy and he was getting others involved in fulfilling Old Testament prophecy by making them fishers of men. Oh Lord, you have a job for us to do. Some of this room today may say, I'm supposed to be doing that full time. I hear Christ calling me. Oh Lord, may they step out in faith, be willing to forsake all and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: Good. Good. so good wow. well, to so uh, well, swing